All right, well, um, welcome back, everyone. It seems like I've been gone for ever, right? We had, we had, uh, what did we have? We had Easter, and then we had uh, Fellowship, and then last week, Carol and I were up in Spokane, Washington. A really good friend of ours, uh, and Abby, Abby grew up with this person, James Parrish. You might remember Bob and Lisa Parrish. Um, they're doing great, and James and Abby both went to Whitworth. James was a year behind Abby, um, and James got married. Uh, last and our church week. approves of the wife? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was funny, though. It was really fun because it was kind of like, I don't know if you know, but we have a lot of first pressers that are up in Spokane now. So you remember Keith and Monica Whitlock? Uh, they were there because they live in Spokane now. Jeff and Chris Sloan, the, the little ones, not the seniors, they live in Spokane now. Um, and so they, they were all up there, and, and so it was kind of like a, a reunion, but they were the first press represented themselves very well. So we, who's that? Christian Soldow flew in. Christian Soldow flew in, Ann Jakeaway, some of you might remember Ann. Uh, Jordan Whitlock, she still lives in San Diego, but she flew up for it. The Montoyas were there, the Bakers were there. But anyway, uh, it was a great time. Um, but uh, I missed uh, being here with you. But I thank Pastor Jeff for, for filling in. Kind of, kind of we've been, we're talking kind of about the same things a little bit with the sermon series in this class now. So let me go over a little um, uh, information for you. Um, so we have actually five weeks in May. So last week, uh, Pastor Jeff was here. Um, I'm going to do the next three. We are going to finish um, the Ten Commandments. And then the last week in May is a fellowship week again. And then in June, for um, we'll have the first, uh, I think we're going to, I can't remember what we talked about. Are they going to be in here the first three weeks? Actually, June, there are all four weeks in June will be mission presentations. Okay. So Fellowship Sunday will be pushed out to the first weekend of July. Okay. July is five. So that's what I wanted to need to know, especially the gentleman in the back needs to know, because I just signed up our good friend Lloyd Tooks down in the back row up there. Lloyd is going to be teaching um, in July. So Lloyd, we can still, we're still doing three. It's just that you won't have to do July 4th weekend. Okay. The first one will that work for you? Okay. So if you haven't heard Lloyd teach, um, this is a treat for you. He's a wonderful, wonderful uh, brother in Christ, great, great teacher. He's been teaching at, at, at this church for a long, long time. Uh, do you have something in mind? Are you still, have, still working on it, Lloyd? Or still working on it. Still working on it. So um, start putting that in your back of your head um, for July. So missionaries in here in June. July 4th, Fellowship, and then Lloyd will be here uh, for the following Sundays in July. Um, so we are looking at the Ten Commandments. So why don't I open us with prayer, and let's get started. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study your word. I thank you for each and every person 
in this room. I thank you for their commitment, their willingness to spend time uh, growing in the faith. Uh, I thank you for their, their friendship. I thank you for their support. Dear Lord, be with us now. Uh, may I not say or do anything that might detract from your true word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So once again, um, here is our uh, kind of our, our, our class overview for this class. The Ten Commandments are the creator God of the universe's instructions to us. As C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. And, you know, I start this class every week with this, and every week I read, read it again, and I think, boy, is that machine bogged down right now, isn't it? I mean, it just seems, for me at least, uh, I think I'm watching too much news, reading too much uh, in the newspapers, but it just seems like we're really bogged down, and we're really straining when it comes to that uh, human machine. Um, this class is also talking to us about the idea of Christian orthodoxy or basic Christian doctrine or traditional Christianity. And First Press has been here for over 150 years and this congregation has always been very adamant about making sure <coughs> that the people that come through our doors understand what is basic Christianity, what is basic Christian orthodoxy, what is traditional Christianity. I personally believe that our culture um, has, has moved away from this in a much bigger way over the last 20 to 25 years. Um, our culture glorifies self and disregards God's truth However, God's word speaks clearly into every area of our lives, offering us not what we want to hear, but what we need most. The Ten Commandments do not provide us with a ladder to climb to reach acceptance with God. Instead, they are a mirror that exposes our sin and sends us to our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, charting the way that Christians must walk to enjoy the fullness and freedom our Heavenly Father intends for us. The gospel sends us to the law again and again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified by our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian believer is free from the law as a means of justification. The believer is not justified by keeping the law. We can't. We can't keep it perfectly. We can't even keep it kind of. It's just, think of your walk through an ordinary day, you know, and it's very difficult to do, especially if you think of what Pastor Jeff just preached on today and how Jesus takes it and, and it really moves the bar for us. Okay? We can't do it. But having been justified through the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross, the believer strives to keep that law thinking about what Jesus did for us, we then, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, want to keep that law. 
until the law confronts us with our sin and our need of a Savior in whom we then trust, any explanation of the Ten Commandments will fall deaf upon our ears. So the believer keeps the law of God, not believing that by keeping it we gain acceptance or approval with God, but rather we keep God's law as a declaration of our grateful response to his love until we understand that then we haven't really understood enough to proceed with the study of the Ten Commandments. We do not hold God's laws to be true because they work. They do. But we affirm that they work because they are true. And this is, this is where the rub comes for a lot of people. Do you believe that there is a creator God of the universe? Do you believe that he communicates us through his inspired word? And if so, then do you believe that is God's true word? If so, we should be motivated to want to follow God's law. The law of God is the lifestyle of the redeemed. And I appreciate Pastor Jeff, you know, he's going through that the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taking the law, really moving the bar for us. But in this class, we're just trying to talk about the basics, and we can't even get the basics down most of the time let alone move it to where Jesus wants us to have. So we got work to do. The law of God is the lifestyle of the redeemed. Part of our calling as Christians is to help our secular friends and neighbors to see that these moral norms are not arbitrary or irrational, rather they are objective and true and they reflect the character of their author who is the just and holy God. They are objective and true. You know, are, is there objective truth? I mean, I taught a class a number of years ago uh, It was titled, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And we spent like five weeks just talking about, is there something called objective truth? Folks, most people today do not believe there's objective truth. Everything is relative. And today, we're going to talk about stealing. And you want to talk about people wanting to talk about relative when it comes to stealing, this is when it gets really going. Because everybody's got a lot of reasons why I should be able to take that or I should be able to do that. So here are our Ten Commandments. We've talked about them. We talked about the fact that depending on where you look or what list you look at, there's basically three. There's uh, Judaism, the Roman Catholic, how they categorize them, and then the Protestant. They're slightly different. Um, and we talked about that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. This is the one most of us are used to. Um, you shall have no other gods but me. 
Two, you shall not make unto you any graven images. Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four, you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Five, honor your, your mother and father. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. And we are up to number eight. You shall not steal. Next week, I'm going to take nine and ten, I think, together. And then the last week, we're going to talk about the good news for us that are believers when it comes to the law. So Exodus 20, verse 15, pretty simple. You shall not steal. Going to that traditional Christianity, that orthodoxy, what does the Heidelberg Catechism say? This is question number 110 in the Heidelberg Catechism. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And they, they do a good job of trying to, you know, cover all the bases here. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. And I threw up the date there because I want you to see the date. 1563. <laughs> wow. They're talking about the same stuff we talk about today. Now, in the Middle Ages, this one right here was huge. Inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume. You mess around with that in the Middle Ages, they didn't mess around with you. Okay, you were punished and punished hard for that. So when you go to buy something and you're saying you, you think you're paying for a pound and you're not getting a pound, that was a big, big deal. When you're selling a sack full of wool, okay, that measurement better be right. If not, you're stealing. You know, you're ripping me off. <coughs> now, I don't know if, if you've been following, you know, what's been going on over the last couple of years when it comes to stealing, um, but it's uh, it's it's gone a little crazy right now in our society. So things like uh, shoplifting now. So you can go in, this is how I think we've kind of really gotten, we, we think, I think we're, we're trying to do something that maybe is showing some sort of kindness, but in retrospect, from my personal view, it's, it's not helping. But now you can go in and you can steal $900, I believe, worth of merchandise. $950. Let's just wrap, this is rounded up. Oh, well. A thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. And the authorities aren't going to do anything. My brother lives over by San Diego State. He, he sometimes goes into the bonds up there, which are pretty busy bonds, especially during the school year. A lot of San Diego State students going there. And he knows the security guard there. And they're, you know, they're, on a, they're friends, you're on a first name basis. And so he was talking to me the other day, and he was telling him the story where they had 
five guys walk in with big duffel bags. They walked over to the liquor department. They filled their duffel bags and they walked out right past the security guard. And Kelly says, well, what did you do? He goes, I didn't do anything. Well, why not? Ron tells us, don't do anything. We're, we're not supposed to engage them. We're not, try, we're not supposed to try to stop them. We just let them go. He goes, if I, if I try to stop them from shoplifting, they're going to fire me. And so they were talking about why that is. And the reason why it is, is that loss is less for that company than it is for a security guard to try and stop them and something goes wrong and somebody gets sued or somebody gets hurt so they sue the company or whatever. So they just say, just let them have it. Um, we have this thing, I guess down, I, I put, I, did, I just, this was just kind of a, me just thinking out loud, but the, the, bat, the bash and grab now, where people will go into stores, jewelry stores, We've had, we had one at Fashion Valley not too long ago where they just walk in, bash the cases, run off with the, the, the jewelry. Um, you know, pickpocketing, purse snatching, um, you know, they say when you, when you go to, to Italy, uh, Italy or other certain places in Europe, if you're wearing a backpack now, they have backpacks that are designed so that somebody can't walk up with a knife and, and slice it because, you know, you have everything zipped up. So what they started doing is they just walk up, you know, they're not trying to hurt you. They just want your, your money, your valuables, and they just slice your backpack and take your stuff and go off. So now they built backpacks for, you know, it's meshed with all this you know, steel wire and stuff so you can't slice them open. All these different things. Because people have no qualms about breaking the Eighth Commandment. So, car theft, carjacking, fraudulent insurance claims. You see the billboards around town about, um, you know, declaring uh, uh, that you're, 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 you're in, you just go to your employer and say you're injured when you really aren't. And you start gathering the, the insurance money. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to teach people with billboards along Highway 8. That that's not right. Really? We, we have to put up billboards to teach people that that's wrong. That's where we're at, folks. We hope they can read. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Um, jump down to 2020. I'm, I'm sure this is this number is way higher now. Um, National Review Security Survey: U.S. retailers lost more than 62 billion dollars to employee theft and shoplifting. And you want to know who pays for that? We do. We do. They just raise the price to pay for you know to cover that cost. Uh, this one. Uh, 2019 shoplifting accounted for 22% of all property crime in the USA. That's almost a quarter. This one, um, I knew this was this was a big thing, but I didn't realize it was this big. One out of two college students reported their bike stolen in 2020. One out of two. Uh, in Abbey School, which is a Christian college, um, it, they. they Hopefully, if people not 
associated with the college, but they tell people don't use your bike the first four or five weeks of school because all the people know that all the kids are coming back with their new bikes that they're going to ride from dorm to dorm and can't, you know, classroom to classroom, and they just lose bikes left and right, even though they're locked up. And you know, as well as I, that I do, what it feels like to have something stolen from you, right? Um, I used to be a bike rider, and Carol bought me a really nice bike for my 25th birthday, and I really got into it for many, many years. And when you're not out riding, you could get something called a trainer, and you basically take the back wheel off, and you put it on this trainer, and it's turns it into like a stationary bike. So I work out on that in the garage. So one morning <coughs> I get up and I walk out and my bike is gone. <coughs> this is a very expensive bike. The trainer is gone. My helmet is gone. My shoes, my bike shoes, oh, which, you, which you, you know, can only use, I guess, on my bike if you have the right size feet, um, is gone. But we left the garage door open. And our, our room, our bedroom, is up against where the garage would be. And so just for many, many days, it just bugged the heck out of me that I was right there in that bed and somebody came and felt they could just come in and take my things. Now, <clears throat> this idea of relativism. Um, God does not accept any human rationale for dishonest dealings. And I, I think this commandment of all of them tends to get a lot of relativism. Um, they're a big corporation. I guess what I should have played for you was the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> where Jerry's stereo's not working right, and Kramer says, well, Let's just wreck it and send it back, and they'll refund your money. And Jerry, Jerry goes, well, we can't do that. You know, that's, that's wrong. And he goes, don't worry. They'll just write it off. And he goes, who's just going to write it off? They'll just write it off. Yeah, but who are they? He goes, it doesn't matter. They know what they're doing, and they're writing it off. Right? The, this idea that... Um, if you steal from a, a large corporation, that it's yeah, it's not really stealing. I mean, come on, let's let, let's go into Vons. There's tons of Vons. They make billions of dollars a year. It's not stealing if you steal from Vons. Um, every line of reasoning that aims to nullify God's law is a string of lies based on the greater lie that humans can have impunity with impunity can ignore God's law and shift reality around whenever it suits their wants and needs. You know, we, we, gotta, we gotta get back to, you know, kind of like what Jeff was talking about today. A yes is a yes, a no is a no. Stealing is stealing. You know, we're really gonna spend time, uh, you know, Debating, discussing, rationalizing what is stealing, what is not stealing. Calvin, 
We are to hate all fraud, all wrong, all extortion that can possibly be done against another's property. The Christian needs to be unwavering and unashamed in saying no to theft and yes to honest endeavors. Here's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, um, verse 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off the falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. The Bible speaks clearly to the matters that concern us the most the intense practicality is difficult to miss. We, 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 we can't, we have to stop wasting our time on something as basic as this. Two things back, um, it did talk about um, against the person, who they are, what they are, yeah, I, I, dignity, and um, yeah, the the person's reputation. Yeah, and their reputation, which you can't give back. Right. And that yeah. would be gossip, too. Right. Yeah, yeah it's not just... Uh, I skipped over that. I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, th th that's a big one, right? Yes. Because they work their whole life you, you can by doing the right things, by honoring God, all of that, and then behind their back somebody says something and they ruin their reputation. Right. Um, so, so gossip falls into that category. The idea of you know talking about somebody's reputation that might be true, might not be true. Um, all that you can be stealing from that person and that you can never give that back, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that technically the bare false witness? Yeah, kind of, they, they kind of all cross over, right? So let's talk about two important biblical principles that go with you shall not steal. Um, and some people, some people I, I, I read argued the fact that you know private property is not something that's valued in the Bible. Um, I'm going to say that that is incorrect. And, I, and I'm going to base it on the fact that God made a commandment about not stealing your stuff. So if there is no private property, if everything belongs to everybody else, it's just there for the taking, um, there's no need for the commandment, right? That's, that's, my, that's how I'm logically looking at that. Um, by implication, this commandment teaches the legitimacy and dignity of possessions now, this is important, lawfully acquired and properly enjoyed. 
Bible does talk about for us who are blessed with things, with resources, what God expects us to do with those. The Bible does not forbid the right of private ownership. It establishes it. Whether money or possessions becomes ours as a result of inheritance, a gift, or an honest endeavor, we learn from the words of James that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So, if that's the case, if God has blessed us with gifts, as Christians, we are expected to use those gifts in a certain way. It is God who grants to us the ability to get wealth and accumulate worldly goods. Thus, when we invade others' property and steal from them, we sin against God. But, here's the second principle, an individual's right to private property is not absolute. When it comes to Christians, God expects us to use our property, our things, our gifts in a certain way. Man is distinct from the rest of creation having been made in God's image and his maker has given him the privilege of exercising stewardship over the creator's estate. The psalmist reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I like this quote. In capitalism, the money is yours to do what you want. In socialism, it belongs to the state, and the state uses it to what the community needs. And in Christianity, it's God's. And it must be used as he directs. When we fail to recognize the fact that God is Lord of our finances and all that, that all of our resources are essentially on loan from him, we fail to honor him in these money matters, and thus we're guilty of stealing from God. That one we can think about for a while. When we use our breath to magnify ourselves rather than giving him the glory that he alone deserves, we steal from God. When we fail to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and spend our time in personal self-indulgence, we steal from God. So you talk about relativism? Well, at least I'm not stealing from God. Well, sometimes we are. Positive side. Uh, we must do whatever we can for the good of our neighbors. We must work faithfully to help each person keep what belongs to him or her. Jesus said, in everything, do to others what as you would have them to do to you. <coughs> For this sums up the law and the prophets. You don't want to be stole from. So we shouldn't be stealing from others, including God. And now we come to our good friend Dennis Prager. So Dennis, I don't care what anybody says, I like the fact that he is able to get down to the practicality of things. So he's going to touch on a few things that I just left untouched uh, on just because I knew he was going to talk about it in his little five-minute video. 
and then he's going to kind of reiterate some of the things um, that we just talked about. And uh, then if we have, we do have a little bit of time, we can talk about things or we can go celebrate Mother's Day. And thank you, Lloyd. Appreciate it. Commandment, do not steal, is the one commandment that encompasses all the others. How does do not steal encompass the other commandments? Well, murder is the stealing of another person's life. Adultery is the stealing of another person's spouse. Coveting is the desire to steal what belongs to another person. Giving false testimony is stealing justice, and so on. This commandment is unique in another way. It is the only commandment that is completely open-ended. All the other commandments are specific. The fifth commandment, for example, states that it is our parents whom we should honor. The sixth commandment, prohibiting murder, is about taking the life of an innocent human being. The seventh commandment, prohibiting adultery, is also specific to a married person. Two unmarried people cannot commit adultery, but the commandment against stealing doesn't even hint at what it is we're forbidden to steal, which means that we cannot take anything that belongs to another person. And that, in turn, means three big things. First and foremost, the commandment against stealing has always been understood to mean that we are not allowed to steal another human being, what we call kidnapping. That is why no one who had even an elementary understanding of the Eighth Commandment could ever use the Bible to justify the most common form of slavery, the kidnapping of human beings and selling them into slavery. Critics of the Bible argue that the Bible allowed slavery, but the type of slavery described was in almost all cases what was known as indentured servitude, the selling of oneself to another person for a fixed period of time in order to work off a debt. This had nothing to do with kidnapping free people, such as was done in Africa and elsewhere. That was expressly forbidden by the Eighth Commandment. The second significant meaning of the commandment against stealing is the sanctity of people's property. Just as we are forbidden to steal people, we are forbidden to steal what people own. It has been shown over and over that private property, beginning with land ownership, is indispensable to creating a free and decent society. Every totalitarian regime takes away private property rights. In the ancient and medieval world, a few rich people owned all the land, and the majority of the population worked on that land for the enrichment of the owners. And then, in 19th century Europe, many socialists argued for taking away private property and giving it to the quote-unquote people. Where that advice was followed, in what came to be known as the communist world, theft of property quickly resulted in theft of freedom and ultimately massive theft of life. The third enormously important meaning of the commandment against stealing concerns the many non-material things each person owns, their reputation, their dignity, their trust, and their intellectual property. Let's quickly run through these. One, a person's reputation. Stealing a person's good name, whether through libel, slander, or gossip, is a particularly destructive form of theft. Because, unlike money or property, once a person's good name has been stolen, it can almost never be fully restored. Two, a person's dignity. The act of stealing a person's dignity is known as humiliation. And humiliating a person, especially in public, can do permanent damage to what is perhaps the most precious thing any of us owns our dignity. Three, a person's trust. Stealing a person's trust is known as deceiving someone. 
In fact, in Hebrew, a term for tricking someone is gnevadat, which literally means stealing knowledge. One example is tricking people into buying something, as when a real estate agent omits telling a prospective purchaser all the flaws in a home in order to make a sale. Another example would be when someone deceives another person with insincere proclamations of love in order to obtain material or sexual favors. Four, a person's intellectual property. This form of theft includes anything from copying software or downloading music and movies without paying for them to stealing a person's words, what we know as plagiarism. Stealing a life, a person, a spouse, material property, intellectual property, a reputation, dignity, or trust. There is hardly any aspect of human life that is not harmed, sometimes irreparably so, by stealing. That is why it is fair to say that if everyone observed only one of the Ten Commandments, observing the commandment do not steal would, all by itself, make a beautiful world. I'm Dennis Prager. So you know, Prager uh, decided you know, he's going to start making these five-minute videos. Um, he has a radio show. And most of it tends to be started being mostly about politics, but. He said, I, I, had to, I had to do a series on the Ten Commandments just because it's like everybody's forgotten. That we, we, don't even, we don't even know what they are and why God wants us to follow them. Um, one last story, and if you have any comments or questions, we got time. Um, I used to work for a wine distributor. And we would go in to these different stores and we, we would have promotions every month. And um, my supervisor taught me how to make sure that you, know, you, you, you let them know exactly what the promotion was and how much they were going to save on this case of wine and all this kind of stuff. And, um, so I started going into these stores and obviously some of the salespeople that had my territory before me were really good because you could not get into these people's back room. So think of their back room being the size of the West Room. And you'd walk in, and you can't move around because our product is from floor to ceiling in the entire room, okay? And so I, I'd say to my supervisor, I'd say, this guy doesn't need any wine. His back room is stocked full of it. But, Kirk, if you tell him that this is the deal, I guarantee you he will buy. I go, I know he'll buy because the whole back room <laughs> is filled. Obviously he's gonna buy, but my thing is he doesn't need it. We should be promoting the wine he has already bought, let him get rid of that, and then we'll sell him some more wine. No, 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 that's not how we do it. I said, he's gonna miss out on the promotion. And I said, well, can I tell him that the promotion will be coming back in three months? Because the same thing's coming, you know, they just cycled through. And after, I worked for, for nine months, I, I, I can't do this. You know, to me, it was, it was like stealing. Because I was, I, I was I, the company was getting benefits from it. I was getting benefits from it. I wasn't sure he was, because he was running out of room in his back room, and he had plenty of stuff he'd already paid for that we could be putting out on that sales floor promoting to sell. Um, all right, questions, comments, concerns? Yes, sir. 
in the second commandment it says that love and keep my commandments. So love, love me, love. I think love me and keep my commandments. So love me comes first. In order for us to really keep God's commandment, we we need to know how to love God, how it happens, you know. Um, and so, and also, does God keep the commandments? I think He does, right? He does not steal from us. Yeah. And and so, but turn around. What does that mean? You know, what is the positive side? What is the positive character that reflects in this commandment about God that will attract us to admire Him, to uh, value it, you know, kind of add into our value system? Yeah, well said. Um, and that kind of goes to what we talked about at the beginning, right? The reason why we want to follow the Ten Commandments is because of the love that God has shown us. Right? Yeah. By, by Jesus going to the cross, dying there for all our sins that we commit every day. We break the commandments every day. And I love the fact that we're now um, saying the Ten Commandments is part of our uh, our gratitude, you know, how do you show our gratitude for such a salvation? And today we read a bunch of the commandments, right? We're showing our gratitude, our love to God by trying to keep those commandments. Yeah. But back then, you know, in, when Moses started, um, I believe that Harvey Melchizedek already taught the Ten Commandments because he was the high priest. So, so, so actually, you know, way back then, the Ten Commandments were, were known. Evidence is not just that. But they did. How clear are they about Jesus Christ going to die for them? So, so maybe something else can actually uh, draw out the love like this, the, the book, uh, Song of Solomon. You know that will come out from us. Wait until my uh, lover, you know, uh, start loving. You know, something that kind of God wants. We are made in the image of God. And we are capable to love. However, the, the object of our love may not be correct, or something, uh, or we love something over we love God. So, how does God show His beauty? attract us so that we can actually love him before we actually keep his commandment. Are you asking a question yeah, or are you without, asking a rhetorical question? It's without, you know, like knowing about Jesus. Uh, I'm just guessing, I'm thinking out loud because I've been struggling with that. How, what does that mean by love God? You know, like, uh, it's like two, two lovers. It's like parent and child. What kind of love that is talking about when God says, love me and keep my commandments? I, I, you know, I don't know where to go 
because I am a, a Christian, I do know I do know what Jesus did for me. Right. The, the reason why I love God is because He's willing to go and give up the ultimate sacrifice of Himself. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity, the God, the Creator God of the universe, is willing to die so that I can be forgiven yeah. and that I can have eternal life. Yeah, I think that's that's what that that forces me to you know love God or want to love God. The um, when I was a teacher, one of the big things was you got to let the kids have ownership of the rules. No, you don't. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to spend time. You know, some teachers would spend weeks and weeks and weeks. And if it works for your class, great. But that's not me. Okay? So we're not going to spend all this time where we're going to figure out what the rules are. I'm going to tell you what the rules are. And I'm going to teach you why those rules are to benefit all of us. Because if you follow the rules that I set up in my class, this class is going to be fun. This class is going to be enjoyable. This class is going to be safe for you. You're going to want to come to this class. My prince, my, when I got a new principal, he was in my room a lot because he, he heard how strict I was when it came to following the rules. But he came, and after a while, he goes, "But I don't, I don't, I don't get." All your kids seem so happy. <laughs> you know, and yet you have this very strict reputation about, you know, they have to make sure that they're doing this and doing that. I said, that's what makes them happy. They want the rules. They want the guidelines. They know what the parameters are. Um, and I think that's what I think um, Prager was also talking about. Just think about this. If we could, if everybody in the world just followed that one commandment, thou shalt not steal perfectly, just think of the dynamics of what that would do in this world. Think about that. It, it's, it's almost, it's almost mind-boggling to try to put your head around it, right? That, I, just, uh, I was thinking one of the easiest ways for a person who's trying to follow the commandments and do good to break these, this commandment is by benefiting by the mistake of someone else. For example, you're given too much change. And everyone would expect, uh, oh, hey, they made the mistake. You can walk away. It's okay. Right. But if you give that money back, that person, you're witnessing to that person. That's another benefit. Wow. You know, I, would, I wouldn't have done that. Even the cashier would say, oh, I would have just kept it. You know? So it's an opportunity to witness, to say, um, to show that you're different. You follow these rules. Yeah. God would give me that chance with my tax return. We'll <laughs> see, how, right, see how it works. Sir. Yeah, uh, for me, I've been struggling with it for a long time, but uh, I think it all has to do with one's integrity, one's dignity, mm. doing the right thing when nobody's looking. You know, for me, I believe truly believe in God and His Son. And, um, you know, uh, truth, believing is truth. It says in uh, 
Proverbs 23, 23, is by the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Every day I get up, pray, meditate, mm-hmm. to do his will, not mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to AA and AA, and during those meetings, too, they, they seem to find a God of their own understanding, mm-hmm. a God they can mold and shape to their mm-hmm. liking. That, to me, I mean, it's pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess that's where you find justification mm-hmm. in the things that they do. But for me, pray and I walk hand in hand with them, but I put them in my heart mm-hmm. and in my mind that he's watching me every single step, every moment in my life. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you talked about this idea of uh, you know, doing the right thing when nobody else is watching. For, for me, I, I, I love that. I, 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 think, I, I think about that a lot. But in the back of my mind, I always get you know, a little kick, but there's somebody's watching. <laughs> you know, when you're by yourself, there's somebody who's there watching all. You know, God knows all, sees all. Um, and when it comes to that truth that you talked about, where a lot of us want to make it into our own type of God with the rules we want to follow, you know, most people when you. you know, we, we, I'm sure when people heard, oh yeah, they're teaching a class on the Ten Commandments. You know, just don't think of it being a Christian class of Ten Commandments. Just think of somebody, oh, somebody's going to get together for, I don't know how long we've been together now, for three or four months, and teach on rules. Who's going to go to that? I mean, nobody, if you think there's, nobody wants rules, right? Yes, but here's the deal. The rules, and this goes back to my example of my students, the rules are designed so that we all live a better and more fruitful life. They're not there to hurt us. They're there to benefit us. Just like my students, I think, I guess it worked for me because they're at least my students, because I'm, they're like this tall and I'm this tall. <laughs> the first couple of weeks, they, 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 they cut me some slack and they said, okay, I'm gonna see if this works. And they followed my rules for two or three weeks and they go, you know what, yeah, this, this works really well. <laughs> um, Jeff, did you have something you want to say? Yeah, you know, um, a really helpful chapter for me in understanding what is, what is mine, you know, as far as private property. Um, Deuteronomy 24 convicts me because, you know, I think about, okay, I earn this money, it's mine. Anything that I give, I'm doing out of my own magnanimous character, whatever. But um, what you find is that as far as stealing goes, God's word doesn't indict so much the poor petty crimes. He indicts the rich in the way that they use their money. So let me just kind of quote some of this. <clears throat> um, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge that would be taking a life in pledge. So you think about um, if you extend a loan to somebody, they're going to give you something that you hold on to until they fulfill their loan. But it says, don't take the stone that they use to actually mill their bread. That would be unjust. Even though, like, wait, taking a pledge for a loan should be my right, right? Um, and then there's this text about what Dennis Prager said about if you steal an actual person, that that slave trader will be put to death. Um, uh, Here's another loan one. When you make a neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect the pledge. 
You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. If he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. So if he gives you his cloak, you know, one, everybody's got one cloak, and it's their one cloak. But if it's a poor man, don't sleep in it. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteousness for you. Um, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. So if they work for you on their land, you shall give him his wages on the same day. So rather than waiting until the next day, before the sun sets, you need to give him um, what, what belongs to him. And then lastly, uh, gleaning laws. I think this is really convicting. Uh, when you have a harvest or a field and you go through and you reap your harvest, don't pass through a second time. So you think about all of this, all of these crops are on my land. They belong to me, right? But it says in, in passing through a second time, you're perverting justice due to the sojourner, to the orphan, toward the widow, and toward the, yes, toward them. So like actually what is on my field doesn't all belong to me, you know? And so it, it really does, I mean, it convicts all of us when it comes to, um, you know, he's not talking about tithe here. This is beyond the 10%. It's like, yeah, your, your money still is up, up to the Lord to, you know, direct you the way that you use it. And it's for the care of, of the least of these, you know, the poor and the widow and the sojourner and the orphan. Mm -hmm. Anyway. It's just through the generic being generous all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the, uh, this is not necessarily a comment on what yeah. you just said. Something popped into my head when you or one of your comments. The thing that irks me the most about when I see people running into stores and running out with nine hundred dollars mm -hmm. merchandise because they know they can't be arrested if it's nine hundred dollars yeah. is the fact that nobody is saying it's wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, I can forgive that person, especially if that person's willing to, to ask for forgiveness, but our society has gotten to the point where we don't even say that's wrong. That shouldn't be done, right? That's the thing that's scaring the heck out of me. Um, when I first started taking my students back to the East Coast, um, probably not going to this is probably not the best example person to use, but Giuliani just was elected. And what he decided was is he did the broken window thing. And said, if you just let little petty things that are against the law happen, graffiti, people breaking windows and stuff, that just leads to more and more people thinking it's okay. You can just kind of do whatever you want. <coughs> so they, they organized all these things down like in these neighborhoods uh, to where they hired people to sweep the streets every day, get the trash off the streets, mm -hmm. fix the windows. You know, graffiti couldn't be up more than 24 hours before it had to be painted over. Mm -hmm. And I went for 15 years to New York City. And I saw the difference from when I started and that those policies taking place to where I felt safer walking around New York than I did San Diego. It's gone all the way back. It's 
back to where it used to be before they started doing that. Now they don't cover up the graffiti, they don't sweep the streets anymore. It's all the way back. So it's the, it's the little things that we just aren't willing to say, that's wrong, that shouldn't happen, that I believe leads to more and more egregious things. Carol? And um, I like what you said too about um, when you're confronted with something about asking God for wisdom. Um, probably this was like 20 years ago in my company at the time, was publishing Christian activity books for kids. And um, I got this really great deal on computer equipment. And so our sales guy and our boss, the owner, said, go back and get more. But there was a limit in the contract of the, I had gotten that I had read, I read the details, and it said you could only get so many of these, this computer stuff, these monitors, so that for this price. And um, they were saying, well, just use our address or whatever. And so I, I, you know, I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, what, if, what do I do? Is this, I don't think this is the right thing. You're really convicting me that it's not. And I went to both the owner and the sales manager, and I said, uh, you know, we are all Christians, and I really feel that God is convicting us that this is the wrong thing to do. This company had a limit on how many. We, we don't like people stealing our books. <laughs> and we're, yeah, we're we're trying to get around their limit on the computer stuff. And they agreed and backed off, but it was just, but it was a, it was a real, it's a, it's a, what do I do? It's a very slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. And with yeah. it's the business culture. Well, everybody does. Yes. This is what yeah. any other business would do. But they wouldn't want your them to do that to them, right? So it was, right. it was really, uh, I hate that everybody does. Yeah. I yeah. hate that because everybody does it. Exactly. And that was my point. We yes. should not be doing this. Right. Christian, we were having weekly prayer meetings. For goodness sake, what are we doing? I don't know if, getting back to Dennis Prager, I don't know if anybody's seen this cute commercial with this little kid that says, uh, did you know, Dad, that our country is a racist country? And the father just goes, oh. and Dennis, and uh, how does it go? George Washington comes in and snatches the book away from the kid and writes something. Dennis Prager has a Prager U for little kids that you can, in, I guess you buy the books or something like that, mm. to show history the way it should be shown. It is honestly a cute commercial. I haven't seen it. Yeah. All right, well, um, happy Mother's Day Thank to you. all the mothers that are out there. Um, and I hope you have a great week, and we'll come back next week, and we've got two more weeks, and then uh, Lloyd is gonna, got missionaries in here in June, and then Lloyd's gonna take over in July for a month. What missionaries are we having? Uh, yeah. I haven't, have you heard anything, Jeff, yet, from the, from the missionaries committee? The committee. <laughs> I'm on the missions committee. Oh, good, Ben. Uh, I think I could find an email and name them. Uh, Stitching, come, be yeah. surprised, they're all right there. You're gonna be seeing What's that? Isn't Pastor William one of them? Don Weisberg's retirement? Sorry, I've been focused on that. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I was the, the word's going to be coming out really soon. Oh, yeah. So there was an announcement into the bulletin today about Don, yeah. right? Oh, he yes. spoke last Sunday. Oh, he yeah, did? So I wasn't here. So he was in town. Yeah, so that, that, that's, a, that's just a fantastic story. He spoke in the service, and also they had a reception for him. Oh, that's right. Nice.
good. But what you can mark your calendars for is June 11th, which is a Saturday in the morning from, I think about eight to noon. Yeah. It's the God at Work in San Diego service day. This is where we'll partner with San Diego Rescue Mission, do something with New Day Urban Fellowship, uh, or Urban Ministries, and Clean and Safe also, I'm pretty sure. So this is just a great way for our congregation to serve the community. Right. It's June 11th right. in the morning. All right, so let me close this in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity to study your word. What a blessing it is. Dear Lord, go with us now. Be with us throughout the week. Help us to be uh, a blessing to others. Help us to show your love and grace to all that we encounter. We thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. We know that they come from you. We ask for forgiveness when we fall short. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Kurt.